Now, there came round three. There was a massive stock crash. There was a recession in the scenario and the stock market was down 50%. Being highly leveraged, I was immediately wiped out. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Eugene Ng. Eugene, are you ready to join the mission? Totally, Andrew. Really looking forward to that. Thank you for inviting me on. Yes, and I'm looking forward to it too. Let me introduce you to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Eugene Ng is the founder and chief investment officer of Vision Capital and Vision Capital Ventures. He's also an author of the Amazon best-selling book, Vision Investing, How We Beat Wall Street and You Can Too. He also teaches investing once a year to educate new investors and to give back. Born and raised in Singapore, Eugene studied economics and finance, where he received his summa cum laude from the Singapore Management University in 2008. Eugene's career in finance spans over 11 years. His career started in 2008, joining Citi as management associate for three years. Subsequently, he was with JP Morgan, providing FX and interest rate sales and advisory for corporates for over eight years, where he was a vice president. Wow, Eugene, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Thank you, Andrew. I think the word, if I can sum it up, really is vision. And I think it's really about the future and how we together as a collective force can join hands to make the world a better place. I think it's about me, for example, me really being an active practitioner and a teacher all at the same time. So for me, I do it quite via a couple of ways. And the first way that I do it is via Vision Capital and Visual Capital Ventures. So in Vision Capital, we actually invest in publicly listed companies. And in, in ventures, what we do is that we invest in early stage startups. And this really ultimately aims to really best reflect our vision of our future, which is really our mission that is changing and shaping the world for the better. To me, investing in stocks and professionally managing my own capital so far is something I've been doing for over six years now and really investing in startups just over two years ago. And I think just, just really focusing on this early stages, angel investing early stages in series A's and B's, and this is just kind of what I'm focusing on. So I've also wrote a book, which is Vision Investing, just over three years ago. I think as you mentioned the title. Really, the main aim was through, through a data back approach and just adding this philosophical approach of how one can invest better and really try to just understand these long-term drivers and stock prices. When I first started investing, you know, the stock market seemed really random. And for me, it was just trying to figure out, there must be some anchor, right, to, to understanding these long-term drivers of stock prices. And I, I couldn't really find any investing book back then. So I really strove to just, you know, write a book that really tried to undergo all the basics, why investing, why long-term, why stocks, why certain companies, why certain trades, no, and what to really avoid. I think it's and investing so much about really focusing and increasing our probabilities of success over the long term. Just try to find 
very highly asymmetric payoffs of owning winning companies that are growing compounders over the very long run. So I think that's really of, of, an, of um, the book. I've started teaching also as well. I just taught my first batch of students last December. I know, Andrew, you, are, mm. you also teach quite a fair bit of investing as well. I've done it over, there was over two and a half weeks and over uh, six three-hour sessions. So I do hope to do that once or twice a year, depending on the demand. But it's really through this process of educating that I want to kind of just help more investors also get out there so that they can too invest better. And together, we can be a very powerful collective force. And also through this teaching as well, I'm also giving also done a giving back fund of which 50% of the net cost proceeds are then kind of donated to the giving back fund of which 20% of this annual gains in any given year uh, actually donated to a philanthropic cause. So hopefully, you know, as more students that done through basically all of this, this giving back funds gets bigger. And of course, hopefully it gets mm-hmm. compounded over time as well with its underlying investments. It can provide this very, very powerful force of good, I think, over the long run. And hopefully we can use that to impact and change more lives for the better, maybe through, through education. And I think that's a big thing. So to really mm-hmm. sum it back, you know, it's really just vision and vision through many, many different ways of how me as an individual can really seek to give back to the world. And I think that that's, that's the really the key bit of it. And when you look at the early stage investments, are you looking at any particular type of company or in any particular country or any particular region or sector or something like that? Or tell us more about that. Yeah. So in, in terms of my early stage startups, I tend to really focus on, say, very disruptive, I would say more deep tech kind of startups. I would say really looking at what Peter Thiel defines it as really zero to one. I'm looking for something not just, it's probably just complementary or adding something to the product, but really getting something that is totally brand new, you know, creating something that is, you know, if done, really change the force for good. So like just the likes of like, for example, I've done investments in, in nuclear fusion. And like, for example, if nuclear fusion, it's going to be done. It's something mm. that's truly going to be renewable, right? And in my opinion, all electricity, if can be done, will be either nuclear fusion or and, and renewables. We literally don't need any fossil fuels and that can be so powerful. We want it on when, when on time and it just comes true. I think that's that's something that you know will truly impact the, the mankind in mm. a very, very big way. So I think the way to do it is really just try to do it. We, I do know that you know, a large majority of them will fail and this is just part of the, of the startup yeah. world. But if done correctly, you know, we would have highly asymmetric returns and that those winners will drive the, the, the portfolio. Geographically wise, I'm generally quite agnostic but tends to I do tend to see a fair bit more innovation out from the US, and that's why the majority of the startups have also come from the US. I've done some Asia and some Europe as well. So, but mm-hmm. it really depends on on what it's really very bottom bottom up, right? I think from the standpoint, really what the startup is doing, where the market is, and I think you know the 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 total addressable market attempt is always key in terms of where they are and and the market. So I think that's that's a good way to think about it. And where do you get your funding or people investing with you or what is it? How does the model work? Yeah. So right now I'm just managing purely my own capital and just allocating it between public and startups. But it's something that I'm going to look forward to to do. And hopefully I can get to start my own fund, external fund managing external capital in terms of the public space in hopefully this year or so. And of course, in the coming years, once I get a track record on in terms of startups as well, that could be something that I could explore. But I think really just focusing on public equities, I think investing is is my guy, is something that I that I really love, something I think the world needs and something I think the world can and can hopefully pay in some stage. So something that I truly you know wish I can give back that value back. Well, it sounds like you've got an exciting stuff going on and exciting future. So that's good to hear. And now 
it's time to share your worst investment ever and since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. This is a great question. When you first came out, I think it got me thinking a lot. I think at first thought, I wanted to share an error of omission from my actual monetary loss from a bad investment, which was actually a fraudulent investment in Wirecard AG, which was a German payments company, which fought for insolvency back in 20. Someone know that there's actually a Netflix documentary on it. But I think instead of going down an actual monetary loss, I wanted to go through something that was non-monetary, but was actually, I would say, one of my worst investment ever from that standpoint. And I think this greatly influenced me in terms of my investing approach and philosophy. So this... This firstly happened after my near-death accident almost 10 years ago when I actually broke my neck. So I actually broke my neck when I actually was intoxicated at a very, very young age in my early 30s. decided to do a somersault into, into a very shallow swimming pool and I broke the top of my, my head actually hit the bottom of the swimming pool. And so my C1 on my cervical bone broke into two pieces. Mm. The back now joined and at that time I wore a halo vest which I had four screws screwed into my skull on my head. And oh. how severe this injury was was that if anyone were to get it, 99% of them would have died. And if they survived, 99% of them would have been paralyzed in some form or another. So to me... And for the listeners really- out there, you are moving around and you know have seems to have full mobility. So that's amazing. It is indeed. So it is really a walking miracle, I must say. And I still have a broken neck. And to this very day, I can't play any impact sports or anything there because... If I do so, you know, I would lose my life literally and, and just try to reduce risk from the standpoint. And I think for me, after that near-death incident, it really got me thinking about what can I do with my life, right? I think at that point, I was just spending money, you know, as being in banking, just as a very nice, comfortable job, right? But I really want to do something more. And I think that really go back to vision, which was the first question you asked me. So for me, really being a fairly logical, curious person, I think I was fairly good with numbers as well. So I started upon, okay, investing and what can I really do about it? Right? And I wanted to master it. I think that's really mm-hmm. important. And I said something to do it. I really wanted to master it. So in my early 30s, I've never read an investing book. I've heard about Warren Buffett's success, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, the concept of value investing. So I actually decided to pay up and sign up for a three-day investing course to accelerate my learning. So instead of reading books and you know, trying to take time to figure out costly mistakes over a period of time, wanted to just you know do trade investing costs, accelerate my learning and try to go. So over, I remember very fondly, over the second day of my investing course, all of these course participants would actually play this simulated stock investment game. Now there were five stocks to choose from of which the financials were provided. You will play this over 10 rounds. You can decide to buy or sell each round. The key here that they gave an additional advantage was that you can take up to 10 times leverage on the very, very limited amount of capital that you had to buy the stocks. Now, at the time, you know, thinking I was a very smart Alex, you know, I was in finance, I was in banking, you know. Before round one, I chose three of the five companies, equally split it, and I took the maximum leverage possible. So I took up the 10 times my capital, right? So beautifully, and the game was clearly rigged, stock market was up 10%. I was one of the top few winners of the entire class of 60 participants. And knowing that one should be invested in the long term and not trade, right? Which is what the course had been teaching me in the very first day. And I just did nothing and just waited. The second round came. The stock market was up again. Even more this time around, up 20%. And suddenly I was the top guy in my class, right? Of course, with the power of leverage because, you know, it just got bigger and bigger, right? And even so, the game host was asking me to come up to share my experience. And I felt so good back then, right? 
And I realized I was just trying to foolishly sharing my success. Now, there came round three. There was a massive stock crash. There was a recession in the scenario and the stock market was down 50%. Being highly leveraged, I was immediately wiped out. Being one of the first to suddenly be at the top and suddenly end the game very early. I think this, this was very, very painful for me because it was a class of 60. You know, I, thought, I thought I could do this game and ace this game pretty well. And there, in a game of 10 rounds, I was out on the very, very third round. It was, I guess, it was a deep hurt. And I think as the game continued through the ups and downs, we were just ultimately down to the final round. It was just a handful of people, 60, maybe to almost three people left. And then of which, you know, the first person that then basically won from there. I think thankfully, the biggest lesson why I had was that this was a very simulated game because this could clearly happen in real life mm. if I didn't realize this. And I think it didn't cost me a lot, a bit at all. But I think it tore me, just tore me apart mentally. But I think the most important bit was that during this, I had to very stay focused and ask myself, you know, it is okay to make a mistake. But most importantly, I made this mistake very early. But how can I really learn from it? And I kept asking myself the question, which was if I knew how the game was played, there's going to be just all these ups and downs, which is really what the real life stock market and what was really simulating it was going to be. What would I do different? And I think that struck me so deep into my heart. And, and this is really, I would say, the worst investing mistake mm. from a non-monetary standpoint that just, just really, I think, got me really to the deepest strongs of, of, of it all. And how would you describe the lessons that you learned? You know, surprisingly, the lesson was not what I could do to become number one. Because to play this game, right, you think the best thing is to, to figure out, oh, when the market will go up and down, you just leverage at the right time to buy it when it was low, sell it when it was high, right? And to buy the right stocks and to just emerge the overall winner. But factually, on hindsight, it will be easy. But on foresight, it's just almost impossible. Of course, you know, the person who played the game could have changed this all the time. And, and, and that's what really is in the stock market, right? But I think the answer in my mind after observing all the rounds was just so much simpler. One was realizing that it was just impossible to market time, to know when to buy low or to sell high through all the markets up and down. I just don't know at that time. And most importantly, if I get one decision wrong, I just get one decision wrong, it compounds and it just spirals down a slippery slope, which I cannot recover. So I think the most important thing for me was to figure out how to keep playing the long-term game of investing. The mm. dominant strategy I knew was to identify the top companies of what was available, which was three to five or what you know is available right now. But most importantly is to never take any leverage, never take any margin, and no matter how attractive it was, and to hold it through all markets up and downs. Because if I had played the game again, right? If I had took the three companies out of the five, held it through a market up and downs, at the end of the 10 rounds, I will be the top three. That was just how simple it was, right? Mm. Depending on how good it was, you know, I could be top, top two, third, second, or the third, or the first. It really didn't matter. It was for me not about being number one. It was just for me to keep playing the game. So if you never be completely wiped out ever, you know, you'll just be there. And I think for me, I really think very a lot about durability, right? Never mm. being wiped out. So then it then translates back into risk management. So I think the way to think about it is to never do anything and to avoid at all costs, never play any games that result in an unlimited downside. Mm. So if you try to play a Russian roulette, right, as, as Nassim Taleb finally says, 
A Russian roulette is where you have a pistol and there's one gun and one bullet in the pistol chamber and you keep rotating it. It keeps spinning and you try to pull the trigger. Though you might have a one in six chance, five in six chance of not dying because there's one bullet in six, right? If you keep spinning and you keep playing this game, eventually you'll be dead, right? Because you keep pulling the trigger. It's a one in six chance. It's almost for certain and every independent outcome, it's, it's just independent, right? So I think the question is, you know, the question is when, when you will die, right? So I think this became such a crucial hallmark of how I think about probability mm. and risk in investing, right? Short-term price volatility is just not risk. Right. The true risk is really permanent loss and that's what truly matters, right? So I think mm. avoid all negative downsides. So like, for example, what I do in, in, in my own portfolio is that there's no margin, there's no leverage. I don't do anything like that. It's just simple buying and hold. There's no short selling because when you short sell, it can go down much more than it can go up, right? Mm. <laughs> and I'm sorry, it can go up much more than you when, when it goes down because when you maximum go down, you make you on 100%. But if you short sell something and if it, if it spikes up, you know you can lose much more than that. I don't sell options. I don't buy options as well because if you sell options, again, you know if it goes down, you can lose everything. You buy options, you can lose the entire option premium. I don't do turnarounds. I don't invest in cheap and, and weak businesses as well. So I kind of know what, you know, anything that could, can go absolutely down to zero. And you, if you try to avoid all of that negative downside, you can keep playing the game. Mm. So the so powerful bit is really about not losing to win. And I think mm. once you eliminate all of these negative downside scenarios, you can then start thinking about winning. And in investing, we all try to think about outperform and winning, right? And the way I think about probabilities and success is this. The most beautiful thing is that in investing, when you're buying something, the payoff is theoretically unlimited and the downside is actually limited because when you buy something, maximum downside is 100%. Mm. But if you buy the great winning companies, the great compounders, the great, and eventually what they do is that they become multi-baggers, right? You can become 5x, 10x, 20, 50, or even 100x, right? So the maximum upside is then unlimited. And if you think about it, if you do it right in the portfolio, in a diversified portfolio, not a concentrated portfolio, you actually allow these winners to really just one run really well. You're not forced to trim them over time because if you have a concentrated portfolio, they become really big. You're forced to trim your winners and allocate them down to the next best winners and stuff. Mm. And what happens is that the most beautiful thing is like Peter Thiel always says, power loss will drive the investment performance of your portfolio. A few winners will just account for the majority of that right. returns outweigh all the losses of all the losers combined many folds over really many folds over this is something that I thought I would experience when I was writing my book haven't experienced back then but I've come to experience that you know just over these many years and, and I've mm. done it and I expect that to be even more accentuated right, and even more pronounced the losers will just become so small and become so irrelevant right. and now what we need to do is just identify all these winning traits of all these winning companies to so just do well over the long run and you know, and that's why I, when I came back to it, I was like, I believe that anyone can really do outperform the market. You just need to get that whole structure right. And this was just some of the beautiful lessons that I got from this very key worst investing mistake that that really just got me to frame that mindset so so well. And maybe I'll share some of my thoughts. My first question is: Was the the game that you were playing in that three day investing course? they were providing the information like, okay, now today, this is what happened in the market. Therefore, these were the winners. These were the losers, right? They were providing a, an artificial environment, right? It wasn't yes, based upon the real absolutely. market. 
Okay, so the lesson here is, it's fascinating how something completely made up can have such an emotional impact. And this is something that I think people miss about the market is that, you know, market's real, but it doesn't even have to be real. You can go to people with a simulation type of thing and you can stimulate the same type of reactions and people are just very, very susceptible to it. And there's three things that I wrote down as you were speaking. The first one is overconfidence bias, where you're attributing your success to something that you've done that made you better than the others or whatever. And of course, there was another person in that room that lost all three you know, rounds of the first three rounds. And they, of course, didn't have overconfidence bias. They basically probably attributed it to bad luck. Now, the second thing is randomness. So the fact is, if you play a game like that, you're going to end up with some winners at the end. And it's probably going to be completely due to randomness, particularly because it's such a, the environment is rigged, right? So what I learned many years ago is the role of randomness in all aspects of life. Now, it just so happens that the stock market is just a great demonstration of it. But in every aspect of our life, randomness comes into play. Just think about the randomness related to your neck injury. You know, as you say, 90% or 95% people would have died or if they survived, they would have been paralyzed. To what extent was there just absolute randomness in that outcome? And then the last thing is risk management. And it made me think while you were talking, I brought up the Ali Frazier fight in Manila, which was the third fight, I think it was 1973, between Fraser and Ali. And it was just insane, punishing fight in 1975. But one of the things that was interesting about the fight is this was the third time that Ali and Frazier had met, and they were both brutal boxers. And by the 14th round, they both were sitting on their stools, and they both were telling their coaches, I want to get out stop the fight. And Ali absolutely demanded it. And his trainer wouldn't allow it at the moment. And then within a few seconds, just before the bell rang, Frazier's side threw in the towel and gave up. And Ali won. And it says, he said it was the closest he came to death in his life. And the point is, is that what I wrote down when you were talking, I said, you know, in the stock market in particular, and in life, there are many rounds where your whole objective is just to not get knocked out. And that's, I wrote a little quote that you said, which was not losing to win. And so I think that that, you know, was a good reminder of that. And then I think the last thing that you talked about was avoid unlimited downside. And you talked about the Russian roulette, you know, why even play a game where if the worst case happens, you're completely wiped out. There's no point. In fact, that's just an absolute madness gambling. It's got nothing to do with investing in, in all that. Anything you would add to my uh, observations of what you've taught us today? I think you're really spot on all your observations, Andrew. And I think the key bit is, I think there are many ways to invest and to make money, right? I think if you want to do it long-term, you really want to invest long-term, avoid playing a game of the Russian roulette. And all mm. of course, as you rightly say, you don't want to be a hero and then end up in a cemetery sooner or later, which is exactly what I did. And don't do that. 
right? Yeah. Don't use margin, don't use leverage, don't sell short, don't use complicated derivatives, don't sell buy options. Do that, you keep holding, just hold your buy and hold stocks, do it in a diversified portfolio, not too concentrated, not too diversified. And the good thing is that no matter, markets still will come up and down, markets will you know go up and down at any time, right? Mm. And you will never be wiped out, you will keep playing the game. The best investors have been able to do so well is because they have been able to invest for long periods of time, yep. over decades, right? If you're not being wiped out, you'll just be there. And I think, you know, Howard Marks basically shared a story. There was a fund manager who was never in the top quarter for five years, and he was just probably in the second quarter. And after like 10 or 20 years, he was suddenly in the top five and top five and 10% of the overall overall. So I think if you do it right, you just eventually keep outperforming the market, you know, by just by a bit and by a bit, you will be one of the top investors over the long period of time. It's not about mm. trying to be like the number one guy here. So you try, just try to do all of that and, and you'll be perfectly fine. I think to me, that is just one of the biggest takeaway that we can, it's a very simple takeaway. It's really mm. that simple, but right. I just try to not avoid doing all of that. So now let's kind of go back in time and imagine yourself, the younger self and imagine a young person, you know, Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Just one action. Yeah. I think given that any of the listeners can do it, is that you know, try to really avoid all of the mistakes that I've done. And I think anyone can really do it. I've done it via, I've took a lot of effort to, to write it in a book. And I think in my book of, of which is called Vision Investing, hmm. where I really try to share all of my learnings and lessons. It's something that if you read through it, is very methodological. It's really data-backed and, and it tries to tell you exactly why we do certain things. And for you, it's really trying to identify some of the winners. And I think it's something that I took almost a decade to, to refine and then continues to keep refining. And I think it's, it's a book that, that can last for time. And hmm. hopefully through this learning, right, you can invest better and beat the market, right? I think most professionals can't, they don't, but I truly believe we can. And through, you know, the concept and the philosophy of vision investing in which you really can invest in companies that best reflect your own vision of the future, we can truly be a very powerful collective force and help the world for the better. So that's a great resource. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I think it's really focusing on and doing what I truly love. I think investing is my ikigai. I shared early on, it's something that I love. I think that I'm good at what the world needs and hopefully I can be paid for. It's going to be a new start journey of investing full-time as a living. I'm not just managing my own capital, but also starting my own fund to manage external capital for others. Mm. I think in doing so, really being just a trusted steward of long-term capital allocation, mm. right? To those who just entrust their heart and savings to me. And I think that's very, very important. It's going to be the biggest step of my life to do something which I can truly call my own and to work for myself in my own business. It's something at the same, it's, it's very exciting at the same time, yeah. but yet very fearful. <laughs> but I think the joy of waking up each day to do what you truly love, like, like you, Andrew, right? Doing, doing this yeah. podcast and then all. I think it's just one of the best thing I can do for myself. It's going to be a huge step and a giant, giant, you know, giant leap. And hopefully it's really something that I'm really looking forward to. Exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. 
As we conclude, Eugene, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I think most importantly is that figure out what game you, you want to play in investing. You can play many, many different games. It's what ultimately what suits you. Do that. Do that well. Do that right. Never be wiped out. And I think you will do very, very well. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.